Hi, it's Karen from See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. We're the podcast for parents with young children, and we know that life with kids is messy, but we're here to celebrate those messes, from spilled milk to emotions spilling out of little volcanoes. And you know what? We really believe in you. You got this, and you're not alone. I just want you to know a little something about your host. Karen Deerwester is an educator, author, and all-in cheerleader for kids being kids. Karen has been a corporate spokesperson as well as a reasonable and reliable voice for kids and parents in print and on TV on NBC, MSNBC, NPR, Parents Magazine, and many more. Best of all, Karen leads the parent-child classes right here at B'nai Torah Congregation of Boca Raton, Florida. Get ready for some fun, a ton of encouragement, and maybe a little inspiration. Today's podcast is Fear and Anxiety Over the A Word, Autism. I am excited to have Dr. Sharon Darling from the Department of Exceptional Student Education at Florida Atlantic University. She was the first person who called it the A Word with me, and it had to be, oh, I don't know, maybe eight years ago that she first said that. Dr. Darling has been supporting children, teachers, and families here at the preschool for as long as I remember. She understands the unique needs and abilities of young children and how to create successful environments and individualized experiences for young children to grow and thrive. I asked her to join me today to help alleviate fear and anxiety over children with autism and replace it with hope and optimism, and especially respect for children who might just happen to be on the spectrum. So let's start at the beginning. Sharon, what does autism mean to you and what does on the spectrum mean? And then if you can describe a little of the work you do and how this is part of your day-to-day, everyday world. Sure, there's um, an official definition for autism. Autism describes children who have difficulty with uh, social skills, communication issues, as well as um, the existence of repetitive behaviors. Um, These things usually uh, produce themselves within the developmental years and typically cannot be explained otherwise by another disabling condition such as intellectual disabilities. Uh, That's the DSM-IV. It represents a spectrum of behaviors, so children range from being nonverbal to highly verbal. Children range from um, having echolalic speech to robotic speech. Uh, Children vary in terms of how they interact with adults and others, lack of eye contact, not seeming to be focused on the issue at hand, but attentive to everything else. And then in terms of repetitive behaviors, those behaviors might serve a variety of functions. They might be self-stimulatory in nature, they might be um, anxiety reducing for the child, or just another thing that they do. Okay, so that was the professional definition. Tell me what so, you know. So, meeting I, children with autism who are on the spectrum, sure. who are in whatever ways they are different. Tell right. me that heart and soul piece. Well, what I like to tell people that they're first and foremost children, and uh, they are in existence in the same way that children tend to be. They have their own interests. They have their own wants and needs, and they make that known um, in very um, immediate ways to the adults in their lives. To me, that makes them very similar to other children. Uh, How they're dissimilar to other children is that 
those things can be quite intense. So if there's a range for typical, then they're typically on the outer ranges of those. So quite intensive in terms of expressive their wants and needs or desires to be left alone per se. Um, those children, also, children with autism also tend to be um, very focused on their own interests. So it's an intense focus. So they have these limited repertoires of interests and they are they know it in quite detail okay so in a classroom per se or in a, a play group per se then they might fixate on one task or one activity or one toy for a very long amount of time and um if someone per se gets in the way of that yeah. it becomes an issue okay so i'm already feeling that little bit of stress and anxiety hearing the oh my gosh it's a deficit it's a deficiency Oh my gosh, if my child is different in any of these ways, he or she is going to struggle, struggle, struggle. You are also a parent. You know the children have their struggles and yes. have their strengths. Yes. What's your, I mean, it's so hard to listen to that description of a child being different or, or, not having an ease of communication, of interacting in the world, of knowing themselves, of knowing what they need, and being able to problem solve it. Help us. Sure. <laughs> if you're a first-time parent, um, it's going to sound quite intense. If you are a parent existing or have had children before uh, having a child with autism, you'll realize that it's a struggle raising children in general. And um, the child that you get is the, child, the kind of parent you become. As a parent, we learn our children, we learn their wants and needs, and we learn to anticipate what that might be. So you want to think about what that behavior is, what those wants and interests are, and how you can proactively plan for them. How you prepare the people in your environment. One of the things that is different about parenting a child with autism is that you might not necessarily have the same support in your social network that you typically have. But guess what? You build new social networks yeah. or you prepare your social network. You prepare the activities and experiences that um, your child or your family might partake in and that would limit some of those intensive responses or intensive uh, interventions that might be needed. Okay, I know um, that... Parents of children who are on the spectrum and children who fall anywhere on that spectrum have enormous strengths, abilities, gifts, ways, I think, to draw us all in and love and be loved. Absolutely. Help us, help us feel that it's okay if a child is different, it's okay. It's, it's, it's the scariest word. I mean, it's worse than any medical condition. It's worse to me. My, my experience with parents is they'd rather hear there's a heart valve issue than, sure. than being diagnosed, labeled, or possibly close to in need of any sort of support or intervention. Certainly, the fear around uh, an autism diagnosis is the fear of the unknown not knowing how it's going to turn out because it is such a wide spectrum and um, how children uh, develop and grow are varies so much. Once you take the issue at hand and say, this is who my child is, and you learn who they are, then you go from there. Once the, fear, the unknown becomes more known to you, then you adapt and you change. Okay, breakthrough right here. What do kids on the spectrum in general ways need from the grown-ups <laughs> around them? 
They need the same thing that children without autism, without ch children without autism need. They need your love, your respect, your emotion, your t t attachment, your anticipation of their wants and needs. That's what they need. Okay. Uh, only because I, th I mean, I, I just, I want to like pull everything out of you because mm -hmm. I know you are this, this ama amazing, magical person supporting kids, families, and children. Talk to me about that respect. Because I think maybe that's the first place we come up short. Yes, we all want to love and be loved um, when we have those when we have children of all ranges and experiences in our classrooms. Sure. But I think that there is something about respect that gets lost quickly. The respect comes from letting go of our pre predetermined expectations. One of the wonderful things about uh, parenting or working with children with autism are the surprising hidden gems that crop up out of nowhere naturalistically. So when you let go of uh, a, a three-year-old should be doing this, and if he's not doing this, that's going to be difficult for me. The respect is letting it be about you and letting it be led by the child. Yeah the child's interest and the child's initiations and, and responding to what they initiate and how they initiate. Children with autism have difficulty communication, but they do communicate. Yeah. They communicate so in their own way. Some examples, if you can, of let's start with the most, I don't know if the severe is the right word, most profound mm -hmm. um, child at let's say let's start around two or three mm -hmm. um and 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 let's talk and then to to maybe to someone who is just um needing some coaching and some support um, how how you how you respond to those immediate sure. situations so a two-year-old who might be presenting some of the um characteristics of a child with autism might not have any language when you know at that age two-year-olds start presenting some language so wanting, uh, letting their wants and needs known might be difficult. So what you're going to do is anticipate or put them on a schedule to say, well, they should be feeding at a certain time. They should be eat, uh, using uh, the restroom at a certain time. They should be uh, wanting to interact with certain toys and presenting them with choices, presenting with sometimes limited or wide range of choices. For those children, um, the presentation of choices allows them to be empowered. It also allows them to initiate in their own way. So as a parent or caregiver, you also want to read the signs of how they communicate either their desires or lack of desires. Even children who are nonverbal will give you nonverbal cues that they are into this activity yeah. or are finished with this activity or are ready to move on to something else. So it's about reading the cues that these children give you. Which is the secret to all parenting. It really is. Uh, how do parents slow down enough, be present enough, um, whether their child is on the spectrum or not? Because sure. that's the hardest thing. Sure. Oh, and especially if I've got, um, if I'm trying to capture an iPhone moment. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> it's, it's, it's the wait time. The wait time that you give yourself to respond, the wait time that you give a child to respond. So you give these two or three choices around these routines and activities, and then you perhaps review now remember, we want to do this, this, or that. Which would you like? And you might have to repeat a repetition, review, and uh, keep giving the choices. Yeah, yeah. And a child who is um, more profound, um, mm -hmm. how, how does a parent fearlessly <laughs> walk into the, I 
I don't understand. I don't have experience with this. This isn't what I thought my interactions mm-hmm. would be like. How do I find my my place, and how do I have the confidence to experiment with but what Karen, works? But Karen, you have work? to remember that children. Two, they don't become two-year-olds overnight. You know, you have this child from birth, and you start learning their cues very early on. Now, certainly, children as young, younger than one years old are being, you know, diagnosed with characteristics of autism, but we do know that that comes from them presenting some sort of differentness, especially if they're on the more significant end of the spectrum. So... Your parenting skills grow as your child grows. How much you know your child grows as your child grows. So it's very difficult to think about walking into a three-year-old who's having these significant differences in behavior learning and and um, and interactions. Okay, but, they but don't I'm going to interrupt you. I mean, mm-hmm. again, in the ideal world. Mm-hmm. Um, that synchronicity has been there from the beginning. That parent is the best advocate for this child because they know this child inside and out. But there are, without judgment, there are parents of children who are a little bit older and maybe not as profound, but who who have who can't see it mm-hmm. be, for whatever um, for whatever has kept them from seeing. How do they relax into seeing what the child is presenting? I really do think that parents should tap into their community and their resources when they're feeling frustrated or um, not knowledgeable about a certain issue. So the first time the parent has the question, is my child normal? (laughs) Is my child okay? Sure. They observe others in their community. They ask uh, other parents and experts. They ask their their professionals, their pediatrician, their neurologists, etc. Intuition is our best medicine. It's our best tool as mothers, as fathers, as caregivers, as aunties, as bubbies, as ladies, right? Our intuition is very strong, and we do have more knowledge than we think we possess. And if we stop and slow down and think about, well, what are the other children doing at this age? He doesn't seem to be able to maintain maintain eye contact with me. If I stand on this side of the room versus that side of the room, am I getting different response? So we almost run our little experiments ourselves. And have the courage to say, well, am I willing to know the answer to the questions that I'm asking? If you're not ready for the answer, then you shouldn't run the experiments. Right, right. But delaying the experiments will only delay the inevitable if it is inevitable. Perfect. And for the parent who is ready to find that courage, what's on the other side from mm-hmm. this community that you represent and you're so well connected sure. to, and which is... Come on, we're not we're not scary. We're not and it's and, and the word that, that came to me when I was writing my questions as is this some fatal diagnosis? It is not a fatal diagnosis. We have years and years of research and intervention to provide us with tools to work with children with disabilities, children with autism, children with all kinds of disabilities. Having a di- diagnosis with autism is not a death sentence in any way we actually don't know how children would end up on the other side. We do know that with early intervention, with intensive intervention, learning and behavioral interventions, it does improve the prognosis for children in terms of their living up to their own potential. We also, in the world of children who are typically developing, talk about this range of normal, this range of typical. Similarly so, there is a range or the trajectory of how someone is going to turn out there's a range there as well, and we just never know up front. We just know to employ the tools that we have now at our disposal to the best of our ability so that we can give them the best shot at 
arriving at their own potential. And I want to talk more about own potential because mm-hmm. I think even worst case scenario, every child comes with this enormous seed, the seed that grows into nothing we could have ever imagined. And their presence and their gifts cannot be minimized, whether they turn out to have that dream or typical life in any mm-hmm. way. But but I want to, a quick question about the, um, if, you're, if there are statistics, because we know those stories of the children who we had some worry about, some anxiety about um, during the infant toddler years or preschool years, and we saw parents and children get support, and by school age, they are, they are completely um, ready for inclusive programs and, and, and with a few adaptive strategies are on their way to blend and, 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 and interact with all kinds of children Absolutely. in life. I picked my um, specialization based on that principle right there, this idea of intervening early Intervening, intervening intensively uh, when children are presenting differences, we have the most capability to make a, a great impact uh, for changing children's children and families' lives. Yeah. Uh, back to why there's such an anxiety around a diagnosis of autism. Deeply rooted in that fear is the stigma that's associated with having a child with a disability, particularly having a child with autism, because some of the images that we see are so... Um, scary. Scary. Um, they are scary. Confusing. <clears throat> confusing, scary, and um, very negative. negative. So when we do see models or um, examples of a child with autism who uh, is on the highest level of the spectrum and uh, being told over and over, this is, this is a one in a million shot, this really doesn't happen. The fact is that uh, the spectrum is much wider and there are more bands to the spectrum than we are willing to acknowledge because there are many adults who are walking around who had they been born today I mean that's all of our question is there aren't more cases of autism the, there, I mean I mean there is that question of whether autism has some environmental mm-hmm. um, cause or um, provocation sure but but the reality is so many of us would have been labeled yes. on this spectrum Absolutely. and the bot and and so what's so strange for me is that we i'm excited that we have this big inclusive world that says let's honor differences we have adaptation skills mm-hmm. we have all kinds of support and and understanding that makes this world big and varied and right. fantastic right but at the same time those stigmas, the world has gotten narrower and narrower that says, no, 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 the typical is so small. And if your child, as we said before we had the the mic on, you know, you're comparing already in baby classes. (laughs) You're comparing, you're comparing nonstop, whether it's social media. So is, how normal is autism? Autism is as normal as any other life fact. Yeah, and yeah, any other yeah. difference that we might present. Yes, you know, you might be pregnant like and, and are sure that you're going yeah. to have a blonde-haired baby, and you get a brunette because everyone else in your family is blonde. It's a it's a difference. It's a difference that presents itself. It presents itself regularly enough that it's prevalent in our society, but it might be unexpected for you. But everyone who's been pregnant knows that 
you have many fears about the many different things that can go It's like having the intense temperament child. <laughs> yes. It's like having, it is. you know, the, the cautious child. Yeah. There were, I mean, differences mm-hmm. are what make us who we are. are. Yes. <sighs> they are. They are. And uh, one of the other positive things about having a child with autism is that no two days might be exactly the same. And it is very exciting and different and fascinating the way in the the small insights we have into the way their brains work the way they choose to behave the way they are not able to control the way they behave or approach tasks or etc so it is quite exciting and can be quite exciting and and quite comical at times we yes. have to stop and laugh when there's something funny and en- and enjoy the is, time is, does that sound crazy to say we need to enjoy it absolutely does not say sound crazy. Yeah. Yes, it's um, it is what we should do as parents, adults, and caregivers. Yeah, enjoy the little moments. So let's and let's go back to that their own potential because mm-hmm. I know when you see a child and you meet a child even for the first time, you see big exciting futures in present in them that mm-hmm. that are possibilities. Yeah. What do you? What is the potential? And again, I know you can't give broad sweeping Mm -hmm. statements, but what is the potential that is often overlooked or missed on a child who might be diagnosed, labeled, or falls somewhere near to that spectrum? I I think that deeply rooted in our fear is this idea of, will my child ever be independent? Will I have to take care of this person beyond what I was expecting to? And we do know that most children um, grow up to be fully functioning adults. And we do know that they are fully functioning members of families and societies. We do know that um, fully functioning, I keep using that terminology, but it, it's it's relative. It's relative to the, the child and family, but they will be an asset to the family and like everyone else. <laughs> how, and now with your parent hat alongside of your professional, um, how, how, can, how would you like to see parents manage that but they might not be the doctor. Mm-hmm. They might not be the, sure. the, the... There is a fear of missing out on some possible mm-hmm. future sure. that, that I envisioned for myself, sure. my family, my child. As a parent, I believe in the yin and yang. The things that you won't get, you will get different. You will get more. You will get different. So for, it's a give and take. It's an exchange. Um, as parents, we all don't know where our child is going to end up. We hope and we wish for certain things. We also do know that there's such a thing called the Pygmalion effect where children will either raise or or go down to the expectations that you have for them. So if you always present high expectations, positive expectations, um, broader expectations for your child, then you and the child would work towards that. So a reason to hold on to the hope and optimism is that that's exactly what your child needs in order for them to have that big, magnificent future and life that we want them to each one of of them to have. Think about how we interact with a one-year-old who's just going from um, standing up to walking. Shower them with positive encouragement. We celebrate the small accomplishments. We uh, cheer and we um, extend and, and, and create that scaffold for them to move to the next step. That's the same thing we do with children with autism, yeah. or we should do. Yeah. 
as they grow, as they change, as they develop. The basic of early, of, of early childhood developmental practices. Absolutely. Meet them exactly where, where they, they are. are and take them. Fearlessly and with courage and with acceptance and with love, respect. And I don't remember the third thing that you said in the beginning, <laughs> but it's you've got to be able to go exactly where they are. Yes. As you said, the delay, the pause, the wait. Mm-hmm. And then you start that beautiful collaboration that says, yeah, I'm your partner and I will dream big about where your edges are, where your potential is, where I can help you discover in yourself what you don't know. And I can, by myself, as the person who knows and loves you most, and then with this team of of amazing professionals who know more about brains, behaviors, experiences than ever before in the history of education, (laughs) um, I can help Create those skills and strategies sure. and adaptations. Promote them in, in your child. Promote those skill development and identify what skills are needed. You know, it's all incremental. So certainly you're not preparing your two-and-a-half-year-old to be a doctor, but you are preparing your two-and-a-half-year-old to be successful in his current um, environment, whether that's school, community, or home. And uh, as they succeed in those places, then they move to the next level. Sometimes we perseverate on the long run and not look at the short term. Okay, explain that word, perseverate. <laughs> we, we, get all, we all got it. <laughs> we get stuck in, in, in thinking about, oh my gosh, what's going to happen when he's 30? What's going to happen when she's 20? What's going to happen when she's 17? But she's only two right now, or she's only three right now. So we cannot get stuck and, and focus too much on something that's yet to come. We have to deal with the reality that we have now and the things that we do now have an impact on what's going to happen later. And I definitely want to come back to the village and the support that communities have to offer for the parents Mm -hmm. who naturally want to perseverate on that. Um, But two big questions for you is, uh, are, going back to that earliest time when parents are starting to get the anxiety of, is, you know, I mean, of course, I have parents, um, you know, my happiest thing is, you know, when I've got, when we're doing the parachute and you start seeing happy ankles and wrists going round and round, it's like, no, 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 it's mm-hmm. it's autistic behavior. Mm-hmm. Do I have to be worried? I'm like, no, no, those would be happy wrists and ankles. <laughs> um, but let's talk about earliest um, anxieties and earliest um, diagnosis. And then the other question, and, and we'll, have, we'll hold on to both of them, is... The question I get so often is, I didn't know I was going to have to be a psychologist, educator, pediatrician in order to raise my child. And I want to say, of course you don't. You know, you don't. And so how do we help parents know that they have, they know everything they need to know and have that community support? So for earliest age and then the parent being having the skills they need to go through this. Sure. I think that... Um Courage is one of those things. Courage allows you to be. Um, courage allows you to be focused on what skills you have, what skills identifying what skills you need, identifying what support you might need, and identifying uh, what your end goal is. Yeah. Having courage allows you to call around. It allows you to stop and think and say, "Hey." This is not going the way I think it should. What could be better? Just being reflective in nature. And everybody hear how beautiful and open-ended these questions are. Mm-hmm. This isn't, does my child have, have, have autistic behaviors or not? This is, 
this is is this going the way Which it I think should, it should or I thought yeah. it should well so, why isn't this working the way I thought it would be working perfectly open-ended question so sure. there's power mm-hmm. underneath that courage when you see it sure. through your eyes sure absolutely and I think that um, we we yearn to create order out of disorder and sometimes we rush to create that order and we might identify or focusing on the wrong thing uh, Autism is such a spectrum, but there are also other developmental disabilities that children might um, be exhibiting. But because autism is so popular and common and on the forefront right now, we are rushed to say this person has autism, that person doesn't have autism. And um, although we are experts in our own right, there are also other experts who study nothing but this and uh, can give you additional guidance. So it's having the courage to seek out that expertise either with other parents or your community and also the professionals in your community. We sometimes are fearful of the answers, as I said earlier, so we don't ask the hard questions. Or we don't say to the pediatrician, I know you only have nine minutes budgeted per patient, but I really do have these questions yeah. I need, need, need answered. Do you want to talk about earlier stage and flags? Red flags? So red flags early on. Typically, autism wasn't diagnosed till around 18 months because that's when children start becoming more proficient with language and interaction. But there are more and more studies showing us that um, even the youngest children, months old, looking at the, the how long they keep eye gaze, uh, general response to emotion or touch. These kind of things can be early, early red flags. But I do want to stop and say red flags do not mean a diagnosis. They mean it's something we should watch. You know, sometimes we do developmental screening of children, two years old, three years old, four years old. All it tells us is to do uh, item, items to zero in on. So the red flags are around the three um, domains that we talked earlier about, the communication, the socialization, and the interaction, and the behaviors. Well, we do know that infants have repetitive behaviors because that's how they learn. So you're really zeroing in on the interaction, the emotional connection, and uh, the babbling. The babbling might be different, so that might or, or lack of babbling might be indicative of communication issues later on. But I do know that I want to reiterate that red flags do not equal a diagnosis. And an evaluation sure. is, to me, I mean, and, and this is where I wanted this podcast so much, mm-hmm. because it's like you have a question, the answers will change how you interact, how you observe, <clears throat> how you tune in, how you engage. Mm-hmm. That alone is information that, that, as you said, changes the future course. Absolutely. So you're already providing intervention, Without, which might change the project trajectory in general. It opens doors. It doesn't close, close doors. doors. It opens windows. It brings in air. Mm-hmm. It brings in options sure. and opportunities. Sure. Okay. I'm, I'm gonna ha- I wasn't thinking I would ask this question, but do we need to say anything about immunizations? No, we do not. Okay. We do not. Uh, the science is certainly not there to support what I call um, harebrained schemes, so this <laughs> to be kind. So this is not a, my child might be the one in a million. This is... We have no scientific evidence. We have no scientific evidence to link uh, immunizations to autism. Uh, The benefits that we get from immunization far outweigh any possibility, and we just don't have any possibility there at this time. So um, parents can, can, uh, can put that on the side, 
go listen, take whatever actions in whatever doses their pediatricians are uh, that they that they with with sure. they can make those responsible sure. choices. Yeah. Without if you choose to not immunize your child, which is unwise, <laughs> but if you choose to not do that, it should not be because of a risk of autism. And that you do see children with autism um, who who have not been, been immunized. immunized. Absolutely. So it's not it's not sure. the sure. because. And so, you know, we live in a culture. One more thing. <laughs> the non-scientists who uh, purport to link uh, autism with uh, with uh, immunizations have been disproven over and over. Yeah. And, and again, we're not here to change or to, or to judge or, to, or to, to come down with some black and white, but, but be careful out there of a society and that wants to give a quick Band-Aid sure. on all of this fear sure. and anxiety. Sure. Um, because that, if autism is in some way part of the range of, of humanity, then we don't have to be in fear of it, and then we don't have to make these kind of choices that, that rob us of other protections and, mm-hmm. and, and security Absolutely. in the world. Again, so we reach for the, with these... Um, quick fixes to make order out of what we perceive to be disorder. Agree. And to me, to me, to me, that's a, another quick fix to make order out of what we perceive to be disorder. Yeah. So let's talk about the hopefulness of the tribe and community. Let's talk about um, our local resources and national resources sure. um, that are available, so that if parents start to open up to the questions, how that process can look for them. Absolutely. The. Um, the resources, the community resources, we have uh, Early Steps, which is uh, the Florida Early Intervention System, which provides uh, free evaluation and um, testing and evaluation and, and services if needed. We also have school age services. Um, well, let's stay with the, mm-hmm. with the um, with the early. Okay, so early. Um, so we also is, have is free better than is 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 paying for it better than free? Oh, Do I have to worry about waiting lists? Do I have to worry about timetables? Let's look at the the, the, the practical struggles. Sure, there of are some practical what struggles works with for that. you. Yeah. Uh, it's it's difficult to say if paid is better than free. We do know that time is of the essence. We do know that uh, early intervention is most effective if it's provided early. So if you run into a situation where you are faced with a waiting list or a longer wait time than you would have in one system versus the other, but that has to be balanced with what parents can do. You know, yes. Obviously, if there's an, an option to pay for a more speedy service, if you can afford it, then go for it. If you cannot, then... You the, system the system works. The system but works, but when you have access but to it. But it may not be. There's also a plethora of information that's available for free. We talked about parents actually providing intervention themselves. So talking to folks, what are some things that I can do to promote language? Uh, there's, there's a plethora of information on the on And the some websites too. or some agencies sure. or organizations, sure. if you'll just throw those You out. want to make sure that you are, are tapping into reputable agencies, Autism Speaks, Autism.org. And uh, folks that know what they're talking about, that's grounded in research and evidence-based practices. That that term is an academic term, but basically means that it's based on research. Okay. It's been proven to be effective. I don't want you, you don't have to name bad sources, um, but what would be things that would look less than reputable um, from your professional position? In my professional opinion, it would be sources that are driven by celebrity status versus knowledge and background and education and training. So if the, the person purporting the idea doesn't have the background, education, or research behind their title 
or their position, then you should be leery of it. Are there crazy solution strategies being presented out there? Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, okay. and again, if you put yourself in a position of a parent who's searching for order, then you are willing to try just about anything. If it means, um, you know, standing on your head for, for 10 days at a time. Okay. And if you think it's going to yeah. help, you might help. But you have to ask yourself, is there evidence to, to support this, this practice? Um, uh, what research has been done to prove that this yeah. is effective? And since um, I see this podcast is doing a lot, uh, having have the conversation about parents' emotions with this, um, the, 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 the thought that came to my mind as you were describing that was desperation. Sure. Wanting the answer, wanting the fix, and want, needing to believe. And so um, my example is always desperation in discipline situations. And so we, I, had a, I, I, I remember having um, an example of when a parent is grasping at straws and like nothing works, it's because they're running the gamut of desperation and it's like it didn't work yet, it didn't work yet, it didn't work yet. And so they, they've eliminated really good options and practices because they were blinded by their own desperation, desperation. fear, and anxiety. Sure. So how, how do you, again, it's, it comes down to that trust, courage, and, and the weight. How do, we, how do we de-escalate the desperation that says something that might work doesn't look like it's working and I'm going for a quick fix? Sure, you, you have to give things time. That's, that's the crux here. Large-scale behavior change takes a while to happen. My analogy that I use quite often is that um, when we gain weight, we gain weight one pound at a time. So when we take weight off, we take weight off one pound at a time. So similarly so, when you're trying to change behavior, behavior becomes um, entrenched and ingrained a small increment at a time, so you're going to see small changes at a time. You have to be patient. You also can't try 16 different things at one time You'll and expect it to yourself. work. You undermine yourself. You run yourself ragged and you increase your desperation. So uh, we do know that there are set practices uh, in terms of working on specific skills or skill deficits at a time and uh, looking at env one environment at a time and then hoping the child can generalize a, a new behavior that's learned to a new, new, new situation. I love speaking with you. I, I have one more question, and then, and then I mean, I, I have a million more questions. One is, when is it okay to change course? When does the parent intuition say, hmm, this person, this, 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 isn't, this therapy, this process isn't working? Sure. How, that has to be based on data. And uh, one of the things that we haven't talked about is when you are in an, an intervention program, the, the driving force should be data collection. Setting and goals, meeting setting goals. Setting goals, meeting goals, not meeting them, continuing with the goals, setting new goals, and all that should be driven by the child can do this now, he cannot do this now. He has been able to do this, he hasn't been able to do that. So you have to collect data, and, and hard data, not what we call cardiac data. I feel like he's doing it, but he's actually doing it or Cardi not doing it. <laughs> I love it, I love it. Oh, my goodness. I And, and tell everybody, uh, are you? The, the local resources like can they re can they reach you you work with us okay <laughs> so we have um because everybody's going to fall in love with you because because <laughs> we are in love with you we have the Center for Related Disorders, uh, Center for Autism and Related Disorders. There is an office located at FAU. Uh, they're regional in nature. There's one for Miami. There's one for um, Palm Beach, St. Lucie, Palm Beach, St. Lucie, and, and this area. And uh, UC, uh, there's one located at UCF for Central Florida. 
they work with children and families from autism from birth to adult and, and beyond. So there are a number of um, consultants there that can uh, help you with uh, diagnosis, treatment, <clears throat> intervention programs, community supports, so on and so forth. Um, basic questions about autism, you can ask your, your uh, neurologist and or your pediatrician. And then you can also do, as I said, there are national agencies such as um, Autism Speaks and um, the CDC has quite a nice arm of information there that are available to folks as well. Talk to everyone. Your schools, if you're in a quality early childhood program, mm -hmm. they have resources. Sure. They have sure. referral information. Sure. Um, talk to family members. Um, and, and I have one more question. <laughs> um, the, those of us who maybe don't have firsthand experience with family members with autism or on the spectrum, um, how do we better support or become more inclusive? How do we break down the walls and the barriers for the child on the playground, the mother who has the question, um, who, who is afraid to ask, our friends that we want to be that helpful friend to? Tolerance. We teach tolerance in all situations in terms of interacting with folks who are different. Uh, you have tolerance when interacting with community members who are different as well. So if it's one more question that someone has to ask, be tolerant and answer it. Is it catchy? <laughs> Is it catchy? If your child's in a program with a child on the spectrum, are they going to learn those behaviors? It is not catchy. <laughs> uh, children are And if they mimic the behavior, how terrible is that? It is not terrible. Uh, this is how children learn and grow and develop. They observe, they mimic. Behaviors are either reinforced or they're extinguished. And uh, behaviors all serve a function for children. And uh, if a, a, a maladaptive behavior, we might call it, is, uh, is mimicked because it serves a function at time, then we have to replace it with a, a better or different function or uh, obtaining a different um, outcome for them. So is it catchy? Uh, just like uh, kindness is catchy. Just like sharing is catchy. And I'm here to say I have watched children... Um, ignore those maladaptive mm -hmm. behaviors in one another. And at the youngest possible toddler ages, long before diagnosis. And what I see is the children are drawn to one another. Children's curiosity in toddlers and twos about that child isn't responding the way I expect him mm -hmm. to respond to me. And it opens up their social network and it mm -hmm. opens up kindness, empathy, compassion. Absolutely. There is only something to be gained Absolutely. by being in inclusive environments. Inclusive environments benefit children with disabilities and it also benefits children without disabilities. We are, are we living a world where people are different and children are going to encounter differentness in, in any sort, any way. And the earlier they learn to be tolerant and to get along, per se, with people who are different, the more benefit, the more benefit will come to them as they get older. So in this crazy world where fear and anxiety has become an agenda and a norm, I need to say, you don't have to have fear and anxiety if you're worried about your own child, and you certainly don't have to have fear and anxiety if you're worried about somebody else's child. Just I agree. Take a deep breath, everybody. Um, the wrap-up is always the same. I am so excited. I know I've got to go back and transcribe this in this this conversation because there is so it's much a bit. pearls of wisdom in here. But the wrap-up is, Sharon, how have you got this? What do you know about um, living in a world with children 
with autism on the spectrum who have differentness. I like the way you say that better than differences. Mm -hmm. It is differentness. I believe that they are an enhancement to our world. I really do. Because I think that when we have the sameness, it tends to be boring. It tends to be um, predictable. And we do know that uh, I, 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 as much as anyone else, loves a good adventure. And parenting a child with autism can be an adventure. Thank you. We're so lucky to have you in our world. Thanks. Thank you. So that's the mess for today. We appreciate you listening to See Me, Hear Me, Love Me. Seeing little people learn and grow. Listening to parents taking a crazy, uncertain journey. Loving the fun and loving the mistakes. You write the rules. You write your story. We just want to be part of the conversation. But in the end, we know you got this. We'll catch you next week. Take care. Oh, 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 wait. We're growing too. So if you had a great time today, please spread the word to a friend. You can also join our conversation on Facebook. That's with Karen Deerwester. And there's great parenting resources for you at www.familytimeinc.com. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks to everyone at B'nai Torah Congregation for this lovely space. Thank you, David Dweck, for that sweet voiceover. And thanks to The Front and The Follow for the song Listen. We are listening. Thanks, everyone. See you next week.